House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. A series that's been on History Channel, and it's about H.H. Uh, Holmes as the real Jack Ripper. And uh, it's mm -hmm. taken from um, Bloodstains, and that's Jeff Mudgett, who's a was a trial lawyer. I believe he's retired and um, has, has written a book about, of course, his great-great-grandfather, H.H. H. Holmes, who had the murder castle in Chicago. And uh, now uh, it's his uh, suggestion and thoughts that his great-great-grandfather uh, was also Jack the Ripper. So uh, we're pleased to have him here. So uh, thank you for taking the time, uh, Jeff, for being here. Hey, Alan Ken, it's a pleasure to be here on the air with you today. Oh, yeah, it's, it's great to have you. Um, well, let's, uh, just in case someone hasn't seen the series and they don't really know who your great-great-grandfather was, um, maybe let's just do a, a short little intro on um, who you are and how you found out he was, first of all, the uh, guy behind the murder castle. Yeah, you know, when I was about uh, four years old, I was practicing law in California. I was a member of the bar up in Washington as well. And my grandfather, at a dinner party, told the family he had a terrible secret to share after, you know, most of his life. He hadn't even told my grandmother. And he, he proceeded to explain how this, perhaps the most evil man in American history, was our direct you know, ancestor, and that we all needed to start changing our lives to fit that, that fact. And then he proceeded to walk out of the room, but not before saying in that name, Herman Webster Mudgett, the, his real name, H.H. H. Holmes is an alias, was not to be mentioned in his house again, and he stormed out of the room. So as you can imagine, we all kind of blew it off. We asked Grandma what was her dessert, and <laughs> yeah, and then the next day, but then the next day, it started wearing on me. I started, you know, going, finding any book that had ever been written about this horrible serial killer, and there were hundreds. And at, at one point, I just decided, you know, the legends and lores were out there so far over the edge. I needed to set aside practice in law and, and uh, dedicate my life to finding out what was true and what was not. And as you so accurately depicted, and I, you know, I have my own TV series now on History Channel. Yeah. Um, so, first of all, let's clear this up, too, because uh, I keep getting asked this. Um, why did he change his name? Well, he was fascinated with Sherlock Holmes. He loved that name. He wow. probably had as many as 31 different aliases we've been able to track down. Oh. He was perhaps the greatest con that ever lived. Um, and fraud, he pretty much invented life insurance fraud and then took it to its extreme. And this was a man in the 1880s and 90s who, you know, was making two, three hundred thousand dollars a year with murder and life insurance fraud. Wow, Kevin, get into that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I've been doing it all wrong. We're, we're always just doing the wrong thing in life. I, <laughs> I tell you. You know, I have to say, so let's, let's just, so the people that don't know what H.H. H. Holmes did in Chicago, how many people do we think that he killed in his murder castle? Well, Alan, Kevin, that's a, a, you know, a question that I get asked a lot, and really no one actually knows. There are 
There are historians that believe it was 13. Holmes admitted to 27, despite the fact that two or three of those were alive when he admitted to killing them. He, he was a great liar as well. And uh, there are others like Eric Larson, you know, the author of Devil in White City, who, you know, take the side of much higher numbers. I, I tend to agree with Eric that this was a, you know, a, a medical doctor. He graduated from the University of Michigan. Um, he knew how to reduce human remain after murder to nothing. He had furnaces and acid baths yes. in, the, in the basement of his murder castle. And this was a man who could eliminate any evidence of murder. So, you know, when you're some of the historians that are demanding that we find bones or DNA to determine the numbers, I, I tend to disagree with their analysis because there were there are unidentified innocent victims out there who will never be um, determined. Just, just because, I'll give you an example. Holmes had a concrete factory along the Chicago River, and he never sold concrete. But it's our theory, and we, we used it on the show, that he used to put bodies in these blocks and then take them out at night and dump them in the river to sink in the silt. I mean, it makes absolute sense. And um, if I can add this, back in his era, it wasn't really all that common for people to, I mean, uncommon for people to go missing. Oh, the, I thought the show did a great job, Kevin, of, of, of accurately stating that. During the time of the World's Fair, when millions of people came to Chicago from around the country and the world, the Chicago police were just overloaded, and they admit that hundreds of innocent young ladies went missing, that they'd never determined the whereabouts or what actually happened to them at the time. Yeah. Now, now what was he doing um, with it? Like, he was, was he selling the body parts, or was he just collecting insurance, kind of all of it? Was it just all together? Yeah. Um, Al Holmes liked money, and he liked women, and mostly money. So any... Yeah, anything he could do, um, sell the bones, do the life insurance fraud, anything he could do, he would. And I'll give you another example. I was at a book signing in Iowa, and uh, an administrator of a, a, a hospital museum came up and said, you know, Jeff, I've read your book. Um, I believe your theories. Um, we went and did some investigating at the museum, and lo and behold, we think one of the skeletons in the museum was actually bought from Dr. Holmes, and we uh, began the process of eliminating that from the museum in the interest of, you know, protecting innocence. So he, he's actually, he paid for his, tu in, his tuition at Michigan selling skeletons. After school was over, he'd go out late at night, dig up a fresh grave, clean it up, and then sell the skeleton to hospitals uh, around the country. Wow, why didn't I think of that? Yeah, I started to say, that. well, that in itself, Jeff, it is quite a feat. <laughs> no oh, he's a, this, this man, they, they, you know, when we talk about evil genius, this was it. This was, that's why when people try to compare him to Gacy and, and uh, the, the Florida oh. serial killer, it's ridiculous. This one's, one's way out beyond them. He, he actually talked people into assisting him in murder. He had assistants that would do this stuff for him. And there was, uh, it, that's why I'm, I'm happy with the show, the, the geniuses of history and Megillah Production who helped me with it. 
they, I think they've given, you know, the country, and now it's being shown in the U.K., the ability to realize this was the real Dr. Frankenstein, and we need to study him more. He's not just a psychopathic killer. This was something that maybe one day we can use to define what evil actually is. Well, Jeff, having said that, um, would, it, would it be fair to say, let, let me take a left turn here real quick, would, would it be fair to say, this is kind of new information, that he had these assistants, would you say that maybe H.H. H. Holmes had a small murder cult? You know what? I've, I've never heard that before, but that makes sense. He was He had the ability to hypnotize. He... Women just were infatuated with this man. The New York Times wrote about at his trial, you know, for murder, when the jury came back, rendered him guilty, the judge called for capital punishment, hanging by the neck until dead. He stood up, they were leading him off in his chains, and the women in the audience that were associated with Holmes stood up and had crocodile tears as he was led from the room, despite knowing who he was, what he had done, and that the woman next to them was also his lover. And I tell you what, that, that to me may be accurately than anything else that picks what kind of man this was and how, how, these, how these women could be so much, I guess, in love. I guess that's the right phrase. I don't know. But even, even knowing what he was. Now, does this sound familiar? No, I no. Manson, I, I, Manson did the same thing. As they led him off, he had all those women in in the jury room or in the in the courtroom doing the yeah, same you know, thing. The difference with Manson is he never actually murdered anyone. They think. Well, His true. True. Yeah. How how does this make you feel, Jeff? Like finding out, you know, first of all that who he was and and uh, the the things that he did and possibly the other things that he did. Like how does this all come down on you now that you're an adult and uh, you know, moved on with your own family? What's what's this effect is it having on you? You know, and that's what I tried to write my book, you know, Bloodstains, about. There's, there's, a, there's a hundred books about how many rooms were in the murder castle or how Holmes murdered and then reduced the bodies. I, I wanted to write more about the journey that I went on once my grandfather told us this awful truth. And, I, Al, I knew I was different. I knew I had thoughts that made me strange. But I tended to write them off as things all men have once in a while. And I went on with life. I, I had never committed a crime in my life. I had never actually envisioned murdering anyone in my life. But when my grandfather let us know our roots, so to speak, uh, that changed my life. And I knew that these, these things that I had tried to write off had a, had a basis. There, <laughs> there was... There was a reality to them and that I needed to deal with them in a more mature way than I had in my previous life. So do you think he was mentally ill, like sick, or how do you characterize him then now? You know, I, I, I go on uh, shows with psychologists and um, doctors that have written books that are considered the foremost experts in the world now about Holmes and uh I don't think he was sick. I think the quote he gave 
you know, while he was in prison to Hearst newspapers who paid him a fortune just to talk to them in his prison cell, that when he said, I was born with the devil in me and it's been with me ever since, Mm. The man, the man was smart enough. That the University of Michigan still talks about his IQ. He was smart enough to have been a Louis Pasteur, and instead he decided to do these horrible things. And I think, I think it was a choice. I think he enjoyed it. I think he, he was just one of those anarchists that didn't believe in the law or consequences, and he went out and lived his life as he thought it. Well, most serial killers do that. They feel that they're above, they're, they're a breed above humanity, that, you know, your laws don't apply to me. Yeah, no, that's, that was definitely Holmes. He was not concerned with the law at all, except staying beyond their, their reaches. That's all. Now, moving into the Jack the Ripper and the, the history uh, um, eight-part miniseries here, um, how did you first associate your great-great-grandfather with England and London at the time in the 1888, I believe. Um, how did you first sort of come to think, well, I wonder if he was that, or how, what led you to this? Yeah, you know, the family, we knew that he had done some traveling. You know, when when, uh, when I started my research, my brother was helping me out. And, and we found some material that indicated he'd done some traveling to Europe. I wrote about it in the book. And lo and behold, a gentleman contacted me, Al, from Pennsylvania, who spent decades of his life putting together the theory, uh, his name was Mark Potts, that Holmes was also Jack the Ripper. And when he first contacted me, I, have, I had the initial response that everyone does when an author raises another suspect as to the identity of Jack the Ripper. There's that skepticism. There's that disbelief. Um, many of the ripperologists in London actually grow violently angry with you about a, <laughs> a new theory. I, I don't quite understand why it is, because you know, I'm not changing they, anyone's they probably life. They tired of that. You know, they probably get it inundated all year, every year, for years, and they probably get tired of, you know. Cause it seems Maybe, like, and, then, you know. And, then, and then they also have their own favorite suspect that they don't want to lose. Yeah. Yes. And, um, and someone brings, and so when Mark came to me, I said, yeah, come on, man. The, the, uh, he's not Jack the Ripper. We're talking about, first of all, Jack the Ripper is the junior varsity compared to H.H. H. Holmes. And, you know, in, in my opinion, the world should be trying to prove Jack the Ripper was H.H. H. Holmes, not me, Holmes, was Jack the Ripper. But that's just the way the media has it set up now. So, um, I, I kind of blew him off, and then I started considering is as I would have prosecuting a criminal case in California, and the evidence started clicking. So I started putting a little more time into it, um, did some research regarding handwriting comparisons, found two or three of the, the most foremost experts in the world comparing handwriting in a new computer program that they devised to do so that the FBI and the CIA actually used got their help, and came up with these <laughs> amazing numbers. I contacted uh, the TED, and they allowed me to do a talk up in Vancouver about three years ago where we actually swore the audience in as my grand jury. I presented the audience to them. And as you know, TED Talks are filled with lawyers and doctors and scientists and journalists. It's a great crowd. And then we had them vote on my evidence 
as to establishing probable cause, and we came out almost 80% voting that they believed the evidence I had presented there. This all happened before Murder Castle, Jack the Ripper. Yeah, right. yeah. 1888. Jack the Ripper was 1888. The Murder Castle was about 1891. Okay. So um, are you suggesting then that he kind of learned how to do what he did at the castle in London? Great question. That's one of the theories of my co-host, Amaryllis Fox, the, uh, the, um, the CIA-trained agent that we hired to help us in the investigation. And, you know, in the show, I call her Skelly. She's the real-life X-Files Skelly. <laughs> and and uh, we, we use her because, you know, most people think, okay, Jeff's got theories. He's selling a book. I'm not going to believe that stuff. So we brought her along. And as a very skeptical, logical mind to, to go through the evidence as we presented it on the show. And Amaryllis' theory now, Al, is that Holmes' murder and his M.O.s evolved over time. And when she lays it out, I think in the sixth or seventh episode, it makes a lot of sense, and it works right up to the very end. And, and I would ask your listeners, if they get a chance, you know, watch those sixth and seventh episodes, and, and as Amaryllis explains, how a murderer, how someone that started out digging up graves to, for the money to pay his tuition, then he decided, wait a minute, going out at one in the morning and digging out a fresh grave and then cleaning the flesh off those bones is too hard. I'm going to do it an easier way. And you know what the easier way was, Kevin? It was just to hunt them down and do it himself, process them like that animals. Murder them. Yes. So that, that evolution of style and M.O. is what she believes led to the construction of the murder castle, where he had his own little laboratory down below the hotel that he rented out to victims of the World's Fair. And the, the hotel was two miles away from the World's Fair, guys. You could, when you rode the Ferris wheel, you could see his hotel. Now, that, that brings me to a great point that I was hoping that you would touch upon, is the construction of the hotel. I mean, it was, you know, I don't mean to sound like I'm admiring him, but it was absolute genius the way he constructed this hotel. You know, and there's guys that have put a lot of time into that. I agree with you completely. Um, everything he did had a reason and a cause, and it was based in logic. And that hotel was designed for a young lady to walk in the lobby, for her to check in, to think the entrance was just spectacular, something she'd wanted, she had on her bucket list all of her young life, how they would take her up to a room, uh, prepare her, you know, get her rested for the night to go to the World's Fair right down the avenue. And instead, Holmes would watch her through an eyepiece. He would have his assistants allow gas to enter the room. If he thought she was special, he would um, render her unconscious. If he thought she was just another piece to make money on, they would asphyxiate her to death in the room. They would enter. They would send her down a greased chute to where mm -hmm. she'd end up on a gurney in the basement ready for his experiments. I mean, that that is spectacular. I mean, what a time saver. <laughs> well, and it, it, it's in, hey guys, it's in America. It's not supposed to happen like that, is it? <laughs> so I, I could see though exactly you know what you guys are saying though if he was in Britain committing these rather savage yet almost surgical murders how he would evolve 
and learn, well, I don't need to work so hard. I will have, you know, I see the evolution. I see what you're saying. Well, and then remember also, in London, guys, he was there on a quote-unquote vacation. All he had to do to escape arrest was buy a ticket home. In Chicago, that was his life, and he needed to be more careful with his alibis. Mm-hmm. Right. And London was a really a mess then, right? There was like five million people. It was the heart of the empire, and it was really... Um, now, the Whitechapel area was quite quite poor, quite bad shape. Um, a lot of people living in one room, like, you know, families and people with borders, and uh, it was a real, real poor time. No, I agree with you. I've seen some of the pictures from the time, and the Whitechapel area was horrible, and it's, and it's horrible as some of the areas of Chicago at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So he, he would be familiar with, the air, with that type of area, you know, how to... How to how to live in it? How to survive? Yeah, and here's here's a man with his he, he traveled with a butler. He had thousands of dollars in his pocket, and he would stay at the finest hotels. And then at night, I, I tend to think of him like a lion on a hill overlooking the savannah with a gazelle. He, he'd travel out at night and uh, do his doings uh, in any fashion or form, and then return to his his hotel, clean up, and. Uh, uh, you know, go down and spare the spare the company of the wealthy and the rich of London. Wow, that, that they, they could make a new version of the Lion King. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Simba no more, is it? <laughs> no more Simba. On on show two, um, where you got the shawl um, from Catherine Eddowes. Um it confused me a bit because uh, we had um, Edwards on the show, who Russell Edwards, who had. Uh, done the shawl and tested it and stuff. Um, so did they, that couple, old, older couple, have a different piece of the same shawl? You know, that that's, I think, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I met both of them, and they allowed us to use their portion of the shawl. And to tell you the truth, guys, I never believed that the shawl would have had Holmes's DNA on it. That's not the way... He operated, and for it to have had his DNA on it, he would have had to cut himself accidentally, or the victim would have had to scratch into where he bleeded on something like that. Uh, he never committed rape. We never found one occasion where he was involved in a rape, and he had hundreds of women around him. So the when we tested that, Alan Kevin, I was skeptical, but I got to tell you, it was the chance to solve. Jack the Ripper, 100% with direct evidence that no one could walk away from. I mean, we used my DNA, you know, which is a direct paternal link, which is the most accurate DNA there is. And, you know, I said, let's give it a shot. Let's, let's give it a try. And, and lo, you know, lo and behold, there, there was no match. And, but, but quite frankly, the production team, we, we, we knew it was a long shot, but it was worth taking. Oh, yeah, you have to eliminate uh, it's just that it, it, it because Russell Edward, uh, when he DNA tested um, that um, that Polish immigrant had DNA on that shawl. They, I, I studied the, their DNA um, testing, and I'm not an expert in any way, um, but I you know did some research regarding the mitochondrial DNA they used mm -hmm. and the method they applied to 
maintaining the um, solidity of the evidence before the testing. It wasn't very good, and I think I think they got called on it at the end. Oh yeah, yeah. There's been a call on it, um, but you know, it's still it's still in limbo, is what it is. I don't think anybody's really, and not only that. Well, I hate to say it, but um, he, you know, that whatever his name was, uh, Chawinski or something, he could have um, just had sex with her. That's right. That's right. He was there, and and it doesn't mean that he killed her. It's the same. It's kind of something we hear nowadays. That's all. Uh, but it, yeah, I guess I guess they determined there was there was two or three different samples of semen on the shawl. So I I, I agree with you. Yeah. Oh yeah. She was busy. Yes. Yeah. I started to say without without sounding crude. Yeah. I mean, you know, she was a working girl. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, you know, anything can happen there. Um, what did you come across any evidence of where he was when he was in London? Um, as far as well, you know, it, the murders. We know where the murders took place. Now, when you know, I expressed my theory, and I, guys, I got to tell you, right now, um, I have no doubt that H.H. H. Holmes was Jack the Ripper. I know that if you allowed me to present my evidence on your show to a trial judge, I could get an arrest warrant for him if he was alive to stand trial for the murder of Catherine Eddowes and Elizabeth Strife. There's no doubt in my mind I could get that. And then, you know, then the machine would go to work providing the evidence we needed for a conviction. Now, did the show present the evidence to get a conviction beyond a reasonable doubt? Absolutely not. And I'll be the first to admit that. But the, the main detraction from my theory that the ripperologists come up with every time, you know, I debate with them on stage is that you can't prove H.H. H. Holmes went to London aboard a liner from New York City. Why that's, not? That's their, that's their argument. Everything else they admit works, but that one didn't. So, I don't know if you if you both remember, but during the show, Amaryllis handled the passenger list completely because I didn't want to have anything to do with that, so that no one could point to me and say, "Mudget, you did that, you made that work." No, Amaryllis went down and inspected the passenger list by herself, and she came up with the conclusion. They found one name that was Holmes, and three or four of the aliases that he used on ships that went over to London and then came back. And to me, I don't get asked about it much, but that to me is one of the major revelations of the show. Right, right, because that's that's kind of one of the one of the things I heard. Uh, the other thing I got from ripperologists <laughs> were um, his mo does not fit with the ripper. Seems to be the most common one that um, from other people that have written books and been involved. What's your response to that? I, I, I hear that often, guys. I, I ask them, you know, I, I, I'll give you a couple, the, you know, arguments that I would make before a jury. The first would be, well, explain to me Holmes's M.O. in the basement when he murdered. I'm not sure anyone actually saw him at work. Mm -hmm. I don't really get how you di differentiate that. And also... We determined that Ripper-style killings occurred after he returned in New York City and in Chicago. And as a matter of fact, Scotland Yard and London Metropolitan followed him over 
and inspected those murders because they were convinced that it was an American doctor who had committed the Whitechapel murders. And when you, when you raise that issue, and I ask the Ripperologist, okay, well, what do you guys have for that? We have a disembowelment in New York, and we have multiple disembowelments in Chicago. What MO differences are you talking about? We don't have videos to inspect how he murdered here or there. We're trying to use stuff we have that's 130 years old. And, you know, I, I don't, so I don't quite under, understand why they want to differentiate this evolution of murders that occurred for a man that, you know, was 25 to 35 years old and then came across the states and built a murder castle and continued killing wherever he went. Uh, oh, okay, Jeff, Let, let's look at this logically from a law enforcement point of view because right. I'm, I'm tending to uh, agree with you. Let's, let's say that H.H. H. Holmes, let, let's go back to the passenger list. Uh, that would be a great way to kind of muddy the waters. I'm going to buy a ticket. No, I'm going to buy four or five tickets in multiple aliases. The liner doesn't care as long as they get their money. So that would kind of scatter police resources when they begin to research that. Now I'm going to go and I'm going to practice killing outside of my comfort zone. I'm going to go to another country and practice this. Okay, now I've got the killings down. Now I'm going to come back, do a few killings in utilizing what I've learned in Britain, which became known as Jack the Ripper. Well... Now Scotland Yard has kind of investigated this a little bit too closely. I need to kind of change my methods or they will begin to connect this to me. So I will begin to evolve. At the same time, I'm not going to pass up this plethora of victims that I have coming, you know, with the, with the World's Fair. So I'm going to build this grand hotel with all these different methods of killing, and I can act in privacy down in my basement, and I can also have my minions doing work for me. So, you know, as long as you keep, I don't know what I'm trying to say, that the field of suspects so wide, it makes it difficult for law enforcement to kind of focus it down to one individual. Am I making sense, or am I just rambling? I like it, and I think you're right on the money with Amarillo. She be she believes in that evolution, and as far as you know, buying extra tickets, creating you know that protection for alibi. I'll give you you know what he used to do. He had a lawyer in Chicago that we're convinced was as great a fraud as Holmes was, and they would write back and forth to each other, preparing an alibi just in case Holmes got caught wherever he was committing a fraud or a murder. And we have some of those letters on record, and they fit right along with your theory you just presented. I think uh, I think very accurately. Well, there you go. Now, 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 I'm going to kind of put you on a collision course, though, with one of our past guests, and, okay. and that would be Richard Patterson. Perhaps you're familiar with his work. Yeah, sure. Um, that Francis Thompson was actually Jack the Ripper because. You know, it, to keep it concise, you know, for time for the show, um, Francis Thompson actually wrote poetry 
And in essence, through that poetry, he described the murders and just talked to his wife. You know, he had, you know, said, I am Jack the Ripper, but I'm going to try to protect you from this. And he also was seen in the area of the victims, had no alibis, or you know, whatsoever, and had the, you know, you know, doctor's training, surgical training. I mean, everything that you've described kind of fits along with Francis Thompson. Do you think, and I'm going to tie these two together, do you think that it's possible, having said what you said earlier in the show about minions and followers, that maybe Francis Thompson was not Jack the Ripper, but maybe he was a disciple, for lack of better terms, of H.H. H. Holmes. You know, I don't, I'm not an expert on Francis Thompson. I wouldn't know the age differences or, you know, whereabouts for, potentially. And I know you, you can, you know, if you go deep enough into Ripperology, you can spend your whole life on this thing. It, it never stops. And but I, But I do know... You know, we hired two of the foremost English linguists on the show and had them inspect the Dear Boss and Saucy Jack's letters. They both came to the conclusion, guys, that this was an Ameri a highly educated American trying to sound English, okay? I know I ran his handwriting with the Dear Boss letter through this computer that the CIA and the FBI used, and they came back with a huge number stating this is very likely the same guy. We then have Scotland Yard following him across the Atlantic to look at similar style, style killings. And, you know, when you, when you, when you add in five foot seven, 150 pounds, 25 to 35 year old, American doctor, expert anatomical knowledge and surgical skills, whose facial appearance from expert reconstruction is almost exact and live eyewitness testimonies depicting a man dressed like Holmes like to dress, those things, and it goes on and on and on. We've got a mountain of circumstantial evidence. I just, it, at some point, I I sure there's suspects that might fit the puzzle. It's just Holmes is, it's like you're doing the New York Times puzzle, guys, and you finish it, and it's like, I don't know what more I can do to the world to show other than how about the three of us right now going back with H.G. H. Wells in a time machine and actually videoing him in Whitechapel murdering. That's, that's about all we could come up with that's needed more, in my opinion. Right. Well, you know it's not me because my last name is Thompson, and 135 pounds is just a drunken memory to me. <laughs> Did you guys plan on doing a second series, second part to this? No, the, the production company and history are, are working on it now. This was, as you might imagine, this is a very expensive uh, series to produce. That history is more more uh, comfortable with, you know, like guys going to a garage and finding antiques now and putting a value on them or flipping a house, those kind of things. And when you start dealing in Jack the Ripper or Amelia Earhart, history gets out there on the edge and they're gambling about their reputation, things like that, and they and they get nervous about it. So I'm hoping there's a second season. I'm not sure. Um, something will happen of American Ripper. I mean, the last episode, I think we set records for History Channel. Um, the highest DVR numbers ever obtained. So it has a cult, the show. 
and I'm, I'm looking forward to someone picking it up and letting us go further with it. I, I'd like to research, as, as you guys both know, but I don't know if your listeners do, when Holmes was allegedly executed, the New York Times wrote about a Holmes curse actor where anyone associated with his arrest, his trial, his incarceration, or his execution either died or suffered a terrible, unfortunate life after. Bad, bad luck. And I'd love to go back, like 40 people, I'd love to go back and investigate that Holmes curse to see if that was Holmes visiting them or one of one of his assistants that he'd left orders for after his demise. Mm. To, it left a legacy behind. <laughs> um, now that it's out, and how, how do you find the reaction to the series for yourself? You know, it's it's amazing. I I our my Facebook page is off the charts. Um, we're selling a lot of books. Um, the 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 people in entertainment, you know, are waiting for me to be off my contract with history so that they can do something over the show. I had one production outfit say, "Listen, that idea of Holmes at trial, where he he fires his lawyers and conducts his own defense." Uh, he supposedly executed, they switch a body before the burial, and then he goes on with the Holmes curse after. They want to make a movie of it, and i gotta, I got to tell you, Leonardo DiCaprio would be amazing in that role if he asked me. <laughs> yeah, well, we have to hope for something, you know. I, I strangely haven't done something with it up till now, because it is quite the story. I mean, whether you have Jack the Ripper part of it or just the murder castle itself, I mean, that would be an incredible movie. Yeah, Eric Larson sold uh, The Devil in the White City to Paramount, and uh, Martin Scorsese is, um, they're, I think they're in production, and DiCaprio's going to for H.H. Holmes. Wow. You got it. See, Al, we're, we're doing it all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we certainly are. Um, well, this is amazing. So now, how do how do people get a hold of you, uh, and um, what's the best way to uh, to contact you if they have some opinion or information? You know, if they go to my website um, www.bloodstainsthebook.com, all one word. Um, my my manager and I we try to take the time to answer all the comments that come in. And, uh, you know, take any orders. I'm trying to sign every book I can get a chance to put my signature on. And, um, I'm, I'm, I gotta tell you, we, the things rolling in over, over the, over the edge now about new evidence. We have every day, guys, new evidence. I just got something the other day from the University of Michigan archives about some handwriting that Holmes did when he graduated from, with his class that graduation day. And, and they had sat down with some handwriting experts, and they just said, it's exact with the Dear Boss letter. And they sent us a new piece of uh, li- literature that we had never seen yet, so I'm sending them on to the experts. But we get, we get uh, um, evidence of, of Holmes committing murders when he was a young boy in New Hampshire. Every day something new comes in, and I'm just waiting for that one piece of direct evidence that we need, the, you know, the world's going to demand it be a direct piece of evidence, and I understand that. So that comes in connecting him once and for all with Jack the Ripper, and then I'll call you guys up and come back on your show. Okay, we look forward to it. I, I was going to say too this. Now this, 
really affected your um, great-grandfather and your grandfather, obviously, because they were closer to it. Um, were you, do, do you still have things of H.H. Holmes that were passed down to you that you were able to keep? Sure, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I've got the, I've got the original graduation photo where he became a doctor at the University of Michigan that day. And, um, you know, it's, we, we have some mementos like that that, you know, my grandfather had kept hidden. And then when he passed, he left them to me in his, um, he bequeathed them to me because he knew I was the one doing most of the work on the story. So, you know, we have, we have those, those things. And, um, I just haven't decided what to do with them yet. Now, you know, there's members of my family, guys, that aren't happy with my path. And that's and, understandable. Yeah. Yeah. My father's okay with it. And my mother's supportive. I'm sure she'd rather have had me stay a lawyer. And, the, but, you know, I, I tend to, I try to respect the family's wishes. And, and I'm, we're finding out there are mudgets across the country. I had no idea. Oh yeah, I bet you're you're finding out things about uh, your family that uh, you never knew happened or never knew existed, right? So it's uh, absolutely you learn something new about yourself all the time. Well, Jeff, it's been a it's a pleasure as always to have you on the show, and um, we this is a, a great series you've got going on history, and it's starting to play in the UK and Canada now, and uh, we recommend everybody watch it and of course your book is called Bloodstains and that's pretty much available anywhere now I would imagine it's selling so well Amazon carries the ebook and then um, we um, we turned down a couple of publication offers we handle it ourselves the print copy and we're doing we're quite happy we decided that I'm going to give a, a few talks coming up at universities about you know the new literary world as it is now and um, my idea is about you know keep keeping it to yourself if you're willing to put the work in. Well, shoot, I I plan on getting a copy. Well, now, I, I uh, I'll sign you one. There you go. And now, is there yeah, an audio book as well out on that? Uh, we have we have a, a an audio book on CD, which quite frankly we're not happy with it. It's too expensive, so we're trying to get uh, do some work with audiobooks.com and see if we can go to a digital download and i think we'll probably have that within a couple of months that's great that's good i i do a lot of audiobooks myself so <laughs> oh and uh, and you know who's narr you know who's narrating my uh, the book is my friend up for the Emmy Sunday. yeah so. that's what you're saying that's fantastic <laughs> well good luck yeah i'm excited good luck to him at the emmys i i i hope he does well and uh, Hope you have a great time. Um, wished I could go, but oh well. Um, well, thanks very much, Jeff. It's, it, like I said, it's been a pleasure as always, and uh, great book, great series, and uh, we wish you the best uh, coming in the future. Al and Kevin, it's been a pleasure being on with you today. Your questions um, have been some of the best I've heard, and Kevin, I thought your theory about how those multiple names on the passenger list, uh, I'm going to tell you, as soon as we're off the phone here, I'm going to call up Amaryllis and run it by her. <laughs> it, it just makes sense. <laughs> That's Detective Thompson. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Scooby-Doo on the case. <laughs> All right. All right, I'll have, to, I'll have to put you down on the list and give you a call, and i got something new come over. Awesome. 
To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. I'll